Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Roel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. Many aging experts become focused on the field of gerontology when they become, well, older. Not so with Carly Roman. Carly's interest was first peaked as a high school student on Long Island when she founded a local chapter of Glamour Gals, a national group that provides free makeup and manicures in addition to social connection for older adults. Through her undergraduate and graduate education, culminating with a PhD at the USC Leonard Davis School of Gerontology, Carly founded two more local chapters of Glamour Gals, and along the way, deepened her compassion for seniors into a passion for developing pragmatic programs that benefit older adults and those who support them. In today's episode, Carly, who is currently the innovation manager at the Motion Picture and Television Fund in Southern California, will talk about her core philosophy of positive psychology, shedding light on the positive aspects of aging, and generativity, the feeling of meaningfully contributing to another person's well-being, as well as yourself. In her current position, she focuses on strategies to provide health and wellness, social services, and programs for working and retired members of the entertainment industry. More broadly, she's committed to bridging the gap between research and practice to ensure that older adults have opportunities to feel valued and stay socially connected through intergenerational programs. Drawing from her varied experiences, Carly will talk about her vision for an age integrative rather than an age segregated society. How do we change our age silos to create enriching experiences for all ages? How do we shift resources to deal with the reality of people living longer, reconciling the desire for independence while still being safe? And how do we paint a more realistic picture of the aging process? Not that age doesn't matter, but it does. But people should be valued first for their achievement so that we no longer find ourselves saying, well, that's really amazing for someone their age. So now let's meet our guest, Dr. Carly Roman. Carly, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So as I mentioned in the opening, um, you know, it's nice that, you know, uh, you know I, I think one of the issues is in the field of gerontology, of course, there aren't enough people who are really pursuing this field, even as society, you know, inevitably and, and relentlessly becomes older. <laughs> That's just a fact demographically. So why don't you walk us through again? I mentioned in the introduction a little bit about your background, but tell us a little bit more about, you know, again, your experience with Glamour Gals, you know, what really got you interested in some, some of those experiences? Sure. So when I was a high school student in Long Island, I was asked by a friend to start a chapter of a nonprofit called Glamour Gals, which, you know, was about going to local senior homes to give free makeovers and manicures. I had never stepped foot in a senior home myself. And to be honest, makeovers and manicures were not exactly in my wheelhouse, but mm-hmm. I thought this would be a nice way to give back to my community and have a leadership position so that when I applied for college one day, I could say, you know, here's one of the clubs that I helped start. Um, Glamour Gals ended up giving so much more to me than I ever imagined. And I really became good friends with a lot of the residents. I found that being in those assisted living facilities was my happy place. And there was so much joy in bringing this young, youthful energy into the home when a lot of people 
uh, didn't get to see their younger family members or just were only surrounded by people their own age. Right. Yeah. And what I like about it is the fact that you stayed with it. You know, it wasn't just something to put on your resume for college. You started other chapters as well, each, each step along the way. Exactly. And I think Glamour Gals ended up becoming um, integrated into every part of my life. So if I were driving my neighbor home from school, I'd stop by the local assisted living facility to say hi to my friends and make it an activity that wasn't just for the Glamour Gals, but also for my friends. And then I'd bring my family. And so it became this really interesting thing in my life that I got to share with others. And it really was all about social connection with people we may not have otherwise met. Right, um, right. Yeah. And and then I, I brought it into my academic interests. And when it came time to do a science research project, for example, when I was in my senior year of high school, I got interested in a field called positive psychology. Hmm. And I thought, okay, they have all these exercises where you can practice feeling meaningful and purposeful. And maybe you're reflecting on three good things that happen to you each day, but they were all tested out with college students. And so I thought maybe the older adults who I work with through Glamour Gals would be interested in this. And that was my first research study where I took a positive psych exercise and brought it to the people who I loved working with. Right. Yeah. And I guess that, that the research, uh, you know, and then when you had Penn too, you were involved in the center on, uh, what was the name of the Center for Positive uh, Psychology? Or? Yeah. The Positive Psychology Center at UPenn. Yeah. 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 So I think that, uh, you know, and, and others, I think it, the research is becoming more and more uh, definitive about that it's not just well this this is great isn't isn't it nice positivity it really does have an impact on people's health and longevity as they get older isn't that right exactly and this idea of not just you know looking at aging as a time of losses and things that could go wrong and how to you know address hearing loss or loss of loved ones but really focusing on the pieces of your life that can still be valued and still have a positive impact so even just having a more positive attitude toward the aging process has been shown to increase longevity and be associated with other positive outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we're discovering too, that as you get older, not only is it not just about aging and, you know, declining, but that certain things could actually get richer in your life that you get, you know, more appreciation, understanding of things, you, you know, you get in some ways, uh, better perspective on things. So there are a lot of positive aspects to aging, not just uh, um, being wiser, <laughs> you know, exactly. but I think that is part of it. You, you do get a certain perspective on things um, that, that help you live better and, and be happier, frankly. Right. And I think there's this feeling of, you know, you're not just going to school to learn something to make a career, but really what brings you emotional satisfaction and what brings meaning and purpose into your life and how can you um, strengthen the relationships and the activities that really bring you joy to make the most of those longer years. As right. you said, you know, we're all living longer and, and what can we do to kind of face that reality with a more optimistic outlook? Yeah. Yeah. So this uh, relates to another term that I've heard you use quite a bit called generativity to explain that a little bit. They're related to positive psychology, but explain how that's related. Sure. So generativity um, initially came from this uh psychologist named Eric Erickson. He looked at mm -hmm. the different developmental stages and he said that in midlife, you have the choice of either being generative or stagnant. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine that this has to do with um, providing for your children and really setting up the next generation for success, giving back to younger people. But it doesn't stop at 
65, like his theory originally suggested, it actually can continue. And it's anything that contributes to the well-being of other people. So whether that is younger individuals in the next generation or just doing something that helps someone else succeed or, you know, feel supported. And so that was pretty much the experience that I had in Glamour Gals was working with these older adults and and having a new layer of friendship that allowed not just me to feel like I was giving back to them by being a companion and giving free makeovers, but also giving them the chance to share their experiences, give back to my life, and in the end, really give me a purpose in life. And so that's the the idea of generativity and um, how it doesn't necessarily have to stop in midlife. It really can continue into older age more and more than, than it used to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recently had a, a, a journalist on our show from the New York Times who did this book called um, Happiness is a Choice We Make. And uh, uh, it was basically his account. Um, John Leland is his name, his account of uh, spending a year with people 85 and older. And it was clear that what you're just saying was true uh, well into those ages. And that's what they kept them vital was that feeling of generativity, um, not just, you know, dealing with the malady of the month, you know, exactly. and, and, and really understanding that even it didn't mean that they didn't have obstacles and issues and health problems, but that that was part of life, but that maintaining a positive attitude and a feeling of generativity is what kept them going. So I think you're, you're right on about that. So, um, so let me just shift a little bit to um, just talk a bit about the field of gerontology. It's a complex field. Uh, you know, there are lots of disciplines to it, uh, not just biology and medicine. So tell us a little bit about, you know, sort of the modern um, uh, field of gerontology. How, how was it taught to you? What did you learn, you know, when you were at USC um, and how should it be taught? Sure. So gerontology, oftentimes when I mention that's the field of study that I pursue, people have to think for a second, you know, what does gerontology mean? Eventually they get to the root and they think geriatric and okay, we're talking about older people. But really the, the field that I studied at USC was about the social sciences of aging, um, looking at aging as a life course issue that happens even before you're born. And so it's not like you turn 65 and all of a sudden you're in old age. No, rather it's something that is influenced by your earlier experiences and it's happening, you know, pretty much every second of every day, regardless of what age you are. Um, at, at the USC school, we focused on a few core subjects, including the biodemography and health of aging. So looking at different trends and how aging has changed over the years. Uh, looking at health disparities and different groups of people and how their aging experiences are different, uh, looking at the psychology of aging and the sociology of aging, and finally, the policies that are affected by aging and also how policies affect aging themselves. So that could be things like healthcare, looking at social security, and really taking a, a very broad multidisciplinary perspective on the aging process. Um, mine, of course, my research focused a bit more on the sociology and psychology aspects of aging mm -hmm. and, and looking at concepts like generativity and um, not just what we know about how old age is currently experienced, but what can we do to really improve old age as we continue living longer lives. Right. And I guess one of the issues, too, that you've, you've been concerned about is, is really how to bridge the gap between research and academia and actual practice. Um, so talk about that a little bit. How do you, I think this is one of the things 
there, there's certainly an element of um, basic research that's important without, uh, you know, an, an intended goal in sight. You know, just you're just trying to learn, find out about things. But then there is the issue of well, what does this got to do with uh, our policy and our practice? And so how do how do you how do you translate some of this into evidence based programs? Sure. Um, you know, when I did Glamour Gals, I felt like firsthand I was getting all of these lessons about the aging experience and I could see exactly what intergenerational programs did for older adults and for participants like myself. Uh, but then when you get into the actual world of practice and demonstrating the impact of these programs, there are different aspects that you can look at. And I think what's really important is having a, a measurement that allows you to show that you know, the programs, maybe it's Glamour Gals, or maybe it's another intergenerational program where older adults volunteer to help younger people learn to read. Um, how can we demonstrate the, the impact and, and what happens before and after those types of programs? Right. So whether that's an increase in generativity and understanding really how to measure that concept and how to show that these types of programs you know, in a more natural environment, not just in these experimental studies that happen in the academic world, but, but in real practice, how are they making an impact? Yeah. Do you have an example of just, you know, perhaps of a program, like how do you measure that impact? Sure. So one of the programs uh, that I did some research on was called Experience Core. And this is, Mm -hmm. uh, like I mentioned, older adults go into schools and they volunteer with elementary school students to support their, maybe it's math, reading, general learning skills, and provide kind of that extra hands-on help that many students need. And of course, when you think about that, it might might be like, oh, the younger people, they're benefiting. Let's see how their reading improves or their math improves. But it's actually looking at those older adults as well. And how does volunteering contribute to their improved health, whether that's physical Mm -hmm. or mental? Um, And so there's a robust study that was done in Baltimore called the Baltimore Experience Core Trial. And this shows that older adults who volunteer really benefit from all of those factors, whether it's, um, you know, getting up and out to volunteer in person. Physically, that's good for them. Mentally, it can be stimulating. But of course, what I love to focus on is that generativity aspect. And why do programs like this, where volunteering is really a central component, why do they benefit the older adults who participate? And one of those reasons is that they can really internalize the um, ability to help others and make an impact in this generative way. Right, right. Yeah, so let's shift a little bit. We, we're going to come up to the break shortly, but I wanted to start on just, you know, looking at your job in particular as innovation manager. Uh, what does that mean? What's, what sort of stuff do you work on as innovation sure. manager? It's a very cool job title, and I'm, I'm very excited to be working at the Motion Picture and Television Fund and really do exactly what I always dreamed of, which was take those skills I learned as a gerontology PhD student in measuring impact of programs, understanding why programs are beneficial, and demonstrate them in evidence-based ways so that if we're developing a new program for people at MPTF, whether those are residents or people in the community, How can we also measure the success of that program, um, include the participants' perspective so they're helping to plan and develop the programs that they will participate in, and really uh, make the case for contributory activities in a way that they um, 
you know, not just do the activity itself, but also contribute to the way that it's being developed. And so that could be a, a mentorship program or something like an art class, but really taking the perspective of those who are part of the program and in, in making their own, um, their own way. Right, right. Now, just remind us, what, what is the mission of the fund? Sure. The, the mission of the fund is to support the entertainment community in living and aging well with dignity and purpose and to help each other in times of need. Right, right. Yeah. And so uh, MPTF actually was started about 100 years ago. It's a oh. nonprofit. And it started as a coin box by Mary Pickford and Charlie Chaplin and some other people in the entertainment industry who wanted to give uh, people who were in need in the industry a little extra support from those who, you know, were, were making it. Right, right. Yeah, I think this is a, an interesting notion, especially, you know, you find yourself here in the in the entertainment industry. And of course, a lot of the industry is about youth and beauty and, you know, um, glamour. Um, and not that it, you know, it, it, it's, it still is not, it, it does, is involved in that you know, arena, but I think it's, it's more, you know, cognizant of the issues of aging. And this is sort of a reality of people in the industry themselves. Um, so uh, I want to talk more about that, but we're going to come up to a break now. So we're going to take a short break now, folks, but uh, uh, welcome. I want to, when we come back, we'll be talking much more with gerontologist Carly Roman. Um, so uh, don't go anywhere. We have a lot more to talk about um, gerontology and related subjects. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you fully connected? We're all online in more ways than we can imagine. Our business, our family, our health, and our money are all part of the cyber-connected world, and it's getting more frightening every day. On My Connected Life, host Tyler Cohen-Wood takes you into the exciting world of cyber and shows you what you need to know right now to keep your cyber-connected life safe and your data within your control. Get all the information, the news you need to know, and a lot of fun and surprises. Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance of success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. 
Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Carly Rump, the gerontologist and innovation manager at the Motion Picture and Television Fund in Southern California. Before we continue, I wanted to let you know that you can find out more about Carly on my Roel Resources site, uh, roelresources.com. Just click on the 45 Forward tab. You can also find out more about the Motion Picture and Television Fund by going to their website, which is mptf.com. You can find out much more about their programs, which Carly is talking about right now. Um, so uh, before the break, yeah, we were talking about some of the things that you do there. And uh, so give us some examples of some of your initiatives and some of the, the programs that you've been involved with, with uh, the fund. Sure. So I first was introduced to MPTF uh, a few years ago as a graduate student at USC. And we've talked a bit about evidence-based programs. That was uh, one of the reasons I got looped mm-hmm. in was that they were developing an entertainment industry career mentorship program. And they wanted to have a survey done to really understand which older adults might be interested in participating and how might this improve their attitudes toward intergenerational connections. So I came in to help develop and implement that survey. And now that I'm working there officially, I'm happy to say that we're we're in development of this program, running focus groups with the potential participants and really finding ways for retired uh, industry members and those who are semi-retired to continue giving back to the industry that they know and love so well. Um, So this is not only to benefit those older adults, but also to help usher in a more diverse uh, industry. And that's something that's really important um, to the fund. And just generally, I think there's a lot more diversity out there. How can we support people who might not have a way into the industry or have that that person to lean on and ask questions uh, from. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, certainly there's a lot of focus today on, on um, ethnic and racial diversity. And I think that one of the issues uh, that's come up is um, uh, about age. And this is something that we may talk about more about this later, but in terms of the age silos and that, so this is something that I think one area in, especially the entertainment industry, which is, I guess, more youth and beauty focused, but recognizing that, um, you know, there's youth and beauty at every age <laughs> or, or vitality at every age. And I think that, uh, you know, even in, you can sort of see it creeping into the, 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 the products themselves, the films and TV, you know, you have older characters and, and they're not just about, you know, kind of, you know, comedies about, you know, about aging and all the, you know, the, how do we deal with all these issues, but just as regular characters, you know, I think that's, you know, important step that it's just part of a normalization of age in our depictions of society. Exactly. And MBTF actually has their own studio that uh, their motto is creativity is ageless. And so they develop original content with uh, residents who live on the senior living campus at MBTF, also people in the community and volunteers where really age is, is not at all a main focus. It's just about doing the things that they love and what they did previously in the industry, whether that's sound engineering, filming, um, being an actor, writer, director, there's a whole range of opportunities at MPTF, which is really exciting to see. Yeah. So there's a residency that's part of the, of the organization. Yes. So the, the nonprofit serves people in the community, but there's also a campus in Woodland Hills that has different levels of care. There's independent living, assisted living, and a skilled nursing facility, which has a memory mm. care unit. So 
that's where I get to go and work every day. And um, just like going to the assisted living facility when I was in high school felt like my happy place. I feel like I'm I'm back in my happy place again. I walk around and see residents between activities and it's really fun for me. Right. Yeah. So it's basically like a continuing care community. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, did not know about the studio. That's a very interesting aspect to it. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, you, I guess there's also a magazine, right? An accessories council magazine that when you feature people over 80, is that right? Yeah. So, so this is actually, uh, it's its own magazine called accessories council magazine. And recently mm-hmm. they did a feature with residents who are over 80 on our campus. So they did a whole uh, makeup and hair prep and then gave people these accessories to show off and they were featured in their recent issue. So definitely recommend looking that up. It's available on our website. And also if you look for the Accessories Council magazine, Mm -hmm. and this was another demonstration of how, you know, age does not mean that you can't still actively participate in these things that bring joy and um, feature some of the positive sides of aging as well. Right, right. And some of these things are being actually made into movies. I think you mentioned me previously that there's a movie um, on being mortal. Tell us yes, about that. This was one of my favorite books. Um, it's about end of life care and it's about how, you know, there can be a, a focus on wellness rather than just extending life mm-hmm. at, by all means. And so um, I was excited to see that they're making a movie out of this with Aziz Ansari and Bill mm-hmm. Murray. Wow. Uh and I think that this will show a really uh, realistic picture of what aging looks like. Um, you know, I'm hopeful that it will focus on all the different aspects, whether that's caregiving, palliative care, and end-of-life care. Um, I just think the, the book did a great job of kind of demonstrating how we got to the place that we are currently in. Um, you know, in the past, if you had a question and you wanted to find out how something was done, maybe you would have gone to the older adult in your family or an elder in in your community. And increasingly with the internet and the information that's available, we don't, we don't do that as much. And so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, how can we kind of come back to our roots of interacting with, with people in those ways? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that there, you know, some of the programs that, that um, come to mind for me is that, you know, I guess it was a series uh, uh, produced by Michael Douglas on the Kaminsky method, you know, um, uh, which, um, you know, again, was, it was about, it had comic moments, but it was, uh, it was serious, but it was, it was about, and, and it, it did have, you know, some of these moments about, Oh, how do you deal with the fact that, okay, as an older man, you have to go to urinate a lot and things like that. But there were also lots of other issues that kind of, you know, made it more than just a stereotyping of, of aging. So I think this is, this is coming to the fore and in a good way. So I appreciate seeing these things. Um, uh, so let's talk a little bit more about that, you know, in terms of just breaking down the silo. So, because the, one of the components of your work really is this intergenerational component with you personally, as well as your research. So talk a bit more about the importance of, you know, intergenerational aspects of, of aging. Sure. Um, So I uh, did my dissertation on a theory called age integration, Mm -hmm. and this was really looking at two components, which are uh, the actual intergenerational interactions that people have and the way that society structures uh, people to be able to interact based on different ages or be segregated. And so you can imagine that if you have schools versus work life versus retirement, that tends to separate people by age. But the more you have 
intergenerational interactions, the more you might be uh, inspired to break down those barriers that are age related. And so I, I take that into my experience and my personal life. I think because I had that intergenerational program back in high school with Glamour Gals, it really allowed me to think about aging in a different way and think about the ways that we can break down barriers and further increase those intergenerational connections. Yeah. Yeah. I think that from, from my perspective, one of the, um, the models I use is, is con- contrasting what I call the technological model versus the ecological model, you know, and, and technology is, you know, it's, it's not really, it's in the broad sense of, you know, understanding the use of uh, an approach of specialization towards solving problems, not just, not just computers and, and machinery, but, um, and, and that's, you know, that, that as become, as we become increasingly specialized in our professions and our expertise, that's certainly important. Uh, but then I think, you know, the ecological model, which is, I think, based on relationships and recognizing, you know, the society as a system and the fact that, um, yes, you know, uh, just like in nature, specialization is important for competitive reasons and for efficiencies in society. I mean, yes, you can see that providing services to, for older folks in certain facilities, you know, helps direct the resources toward that. But that's not how communities really work. And I think that we're recognizing that, you know, we're by going back to sort of an ecological model, recognizing this from whatever you want to say, the green movement or the, or the environmental movement and recognizing that we're all connected. I think that we're kind of seeing that, well, we need to figure out ways of keeping integrated younger and older because that's the natural form of community and aging. Exactly. And, and bringing that back to the research side is how do we all benefit from that? I mean, on the younger adult side, we have potentially a different view about aging that is more optimistic and maybe even more realistic. That doesn't mean there's no you know health issues that happen when you get older, but what can we do to change the narrative and see that there are still opportunities um, that will improve people's aging experiences themselves if they, if they aren't looking ahead to something and viewing it in a negative light. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the older adults, you know, it, it is more natural to keep people engaged with members of society, people of all ages. It shouldn't be, you know, you move to a nursing home and, and that's it. You don't see younger people. Um, so NPTF does a great job with having volunteers of all ages mm-hmm. help to deliver the programs that we have on campus and in the community. And I think that's not just something that benefits the the people who receive the services, but also helping others feels good and it's good for you. And, and this comes back to that idea of generativity and, and pro-social behavior. How can we put a little bit more of that back into our daily experiences? Right. So you've been involved with a number of other programs too that are interesting. So you did some work with Durup, right? Yes, in uh, New York City. So that was another one that um, I interned at when I was in college. They are a social services organization to help older adults in New York City age in place and in their homes comfortably. Um, And one of my favorite experiences with Durup was teaching a 96-year-old woman how to use her new smartphone. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just amazing to see how anxious and excited she was to learn. I think it can be very intimidating sometimes, but happy to report that Emily turned 103 about a month ago and 
was posting her picture of herself with her birthday cake on Facebook. So, right. you know, there, there's no barrier just because you're older. I think that's kind of uh, an important thing to, to keep in mind. Right. So just uh, explain a little bit more for our, our audience, if they might not be familiar with it, that sort of matches younger and older people as friends, right? Exactly. So there's a range of friendly visiting. There could be meal delivery services. Maybe someone wants to go get their haircut and they need a volunteer to walk with them a few blocks in, in New York City. And so um, really any activity you can think of, Dorot has a, a great way to match people up and, and get the community involved of all different ages and caring for the older members who live there. Right, right. And what about the uh, your Cedars-Sinai Intergenerational Virtual Exercise Program? Sure. This was a fun one that came out of the pandemic. Um, everyone, of course, was shifting to virtual programming. And we know that exercise can be really important, but how can we motivate people to exercise? And so this program was pairing up younger and older participants to exercise together on a platform called Flex Together. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, like all the programs that I'm really interested in, I was helping to develop a research protocol around it to make sure that we're not just making a program and not understanding the impact that it has. Uh, and this, you know, can be for any age, but really having that accountability and a partner to exercise with makes it more motivational and even more impactful. Right, right. And then uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was this um introductory gerontology lessons uh, to Hebrew school students uh, in middle school. Sure. That was uh, someone reached out to the University of Southern California, Leonard Mm -hmm. Davis School of Gerontology, where you go for any gerontology needs. And uh, they asked someone to have a day for their honoring older adults um, program where someone would speak to you know, what gerontology is as a subject. So it was middle school students. They came and got to sit in a college class and and get a little taste of what a gerontology lecture would look like. And they paired that with um, an intergenerational program where they worked with older adults who had memory impairment and helped listen to music with them so that they could kind of spark these memories and pleasant experiences that the older adults had. Um, so it was really fun to get a, a completely different demographic, even younger than, than I was used to teaching gerontology to and, and get them excited about the field. And they just had such, um, you know, innocent, but impactful uh, questions about the aging process. I think there was, you know, there weren't any barriers to, to what they asked about. And I think it, it brought a new perspective to the field. Yeah, I think that's one of the important things about, you know, younger people um, having no sense of what it means to be older, (laughs) one of the issues, and just having an opportunity to engage with older people um, and kind of disrupt your your ideas of aging. I mean, I I think when I was, um, you know, a young, well, uh, young person, you know, I think uh, uh, most of the time I I remember... um, I remember during the holidays, you know, at my, my parents would have, you know, parties and I'd, they'd have their friends over and I go like, oh, that's old people, <laughs> you know, my parents' age, right? And of course, you know, I'm, I'm way older now than the, sure my parents were at that age. So, you know, it's it does really help to break down the stereotypes and, and really um, get a sense of, of where, where, you know, young people are headed. Uh, and also I think it, 
it, you know, it breaks down some stereotypes older people have of young people, you know, as to what they're thinking and what they're, they're feeling and, and what they think of them. Um, so I think it's a really valuable process. I think that there have been, I've seen some programs where people actually sit down beforehand and, and then write down, um, what do you think it's, you know, an older person is like? And they, they give characteristics and descriptions and so forth. And then they kind of exchange and explain, <laughs> explain themselves. And invariably, it leads to some real interesting insights. Um, uh, so I think, yeah, I think this is an important aspect of, you know, your age-integrated approach to, um, um, to society. Um, that's what I wanted to get into, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the last segment coming up. I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, um, how do we how do we broaden this you know approach, Carly, to um, uh, to teach uh, give a more realistic picture about aging overall? Um, I guess for the public in general, uh, that I'm sure there are lots of avenues to do this, um, but that's I want to talk about what what are the different ways we can teach about aging? What are the different dimensions? As you mentioned earlier, not just about decline, sort of realistic um, notions about what we need to think about as we we do get physically frailer um but um how do we how do we deal with these you know in terms of an educational perspective um i think what i'm actually going to do is is hold on to this thought as we think about this uh, we're going to go into another break uh but again it's going to be a short break so um don't go away folks we'll be talking much more in our last segment with dr carly roman gerontologist and innovation manager Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, Please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. 
Welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm talking with gerontologists and innovation manager at the Motion Picture and Television Fund, uh, Carly Roman, who is herself an innovative thinker, too. Uh, so, Carly, before the break, we were talking about how can we teach and, and think about aging differently, you know, in a broad sense, you know, because you know, you've talked about dealing with age silos in society. So what are the things we can do about teaching about age differently and treating it differently? Sure. I mean, I, I'm a gerontologist, so of course, age is certainly a factor that is important. But I think at the same time, we are people and just understanding the, the core experience of being a person, um, regardless of what age you are, you know, whether that's in terms of relationships, of course, it changes a bit when you're younger and in midlife and when you're older, but also what are the, the pieces that are maintained and that need for social connection, that need to contribute to others' lives and, and your own experience? How can we just distill it to that very human process? Right, right. And of course, dealing with it will require some shifting of resources as society gets older. And I think one of the important uh, components is technology, which I know you've been involved with as well. So tell us about that a bit. Definitely. Uh, technology is something that is, uh, you know, stereotypically not for the older adult population. And I think that is, um, it does a disservice to the older adults if we just say there's, you know, technology that's too complicated. Um, there are some great organizations out there trying to bridge the digital divide and find ways to make technology more accessible to older adults. Uh especially during the pandemic, there's so much that technology has become a lifeline for. So one of those organizations is uh, the Older Adults Technology Services. Uh, they're affiliated with AARP and they have uh, another organization called Senior Planet that develops curriculums for teaching technology. And um, we're at the MPTF, we're lucky to be piloting their curriculums and we'll be starting in-person technology classes uh, in April, and really going through all the things that maybe feel daunting to a lot of older adults, whether that's something as basic as what exactly is the internet and how do we connect to it, and going all the way up to, you know, how do we use Photoshop? I mean, things that don't have to be dismissed just because of age, but really, can we find ways even intergenerationally to support it by pairing younger and older people to, to work and learn together? Right, right. Um, there's um, a program locally here. I think there's a national component too called Senior Net, where people uh, do have programs for older folks, and I think pair younger folks teaching them as well as volunteers. Um, I think this is a critical component, and I have to say, you know, we focus on older people, but uh, in terms of technology, and I do think we are in a transitional period where, you know, it's. Uh, there are many of us in, in the middle ground who are kind of maybe not digital natives the way our you know sons and daughters are, but we're in the middle ground. And I think that I think we, we do recognize the um, the importance of using technology as, as a means of, of connection. Uh, I think this was, you know, came on strong in our area, certainly and every time there's a major natural disaster. Right. I mean, what happens is that often seniors, particularly those who have to be living alone or just in couples, get isolated. So technology is an important tool. They need to be able to know how to use it. And we need to have systems in place where they can. I think another um, issue here, at least uh, in, in New York, is 
the issue of 5G capability. And there are lots of areas of the country where you, you don't have you know, internet capacity to do Zoom. And, you know, that's sort of a, well, that's going to be a norm. I mean, you, you're going to have to have that capability. So I think that, that that from a policy perspective, yeah, technology is going to be important in terms of keeping seniors connected. And, and, and I think too, you know, um, uh, in terms of delivery of services, I think um, certainly some things uh, in, with respect to telehealth are going to get rolled back, you know, Medicare sort of broaden their services. But I think a lot, like a lot of things with the pandemic that, you know, we've created this hybrid society, um, they're going to remain. And I think, for example, you know, um, I mean, this happened to me personally, you know, I had a health issue and I, I went to a doctor for an initial hands-on exam. But after that, you know, this woman and I had conversations uh, through telehealth. I mean, I didn't, you know, you don't need to, you know, cart people to doctor's offices. Um, and I think this is something that I think that you've been involved with too, kind of a, a more of a person-centered approach to dealing with uh, aging, you know, exactly. delivering services to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think ageism plays a, a strong role in this. There's, you know, this internalized technology is not for me if you're older, but that, that doesn't have to be the case. I mean, I know some older adults like my friend, Emily, who's, you know, on Facebook and learned a new skill at age 96. Uh, other people feel like they didn't get those earlier uh, entrances into technology. And so now it's a lost cause, but that, that really is not the case. There's always time to learn and um, it, it might be daunting. Sometimes, you know, I swipe the wrong way on my phone and I think the residents don't realize how many times I'm pressing a wrong button before right. I get the right one. And there's just this maybe slight apprehension about pressing buttons and, and swiping a different way to find your way on an iPhone. But um really teaching people not to be so scared to, you know, within reason, of course, there's got to be internet safety as a, a foundation, but um, not too scared to, to learn new skills and, and figure out the new ways of communicating with people. Yeah, I, I agree. I th and I think a lot of it is just really about a commitment to teaching and learning. Anything you do, you know, takes time to really learn. I think that's, I think our expectations of technology are like, oh, well, you just learn how to do this. It's like, no, it's not obvious. It's not intuitive. You need to learn how to do it. You know, I mean, yeah. even, and I mean, we do, so we're, we're engaged in, in Zoom calls, but in order to really use it there, there's a lot to learn about to how to do it effectively and at different levels. Um, so I think that's, uh, I think we are bridging or transitioning through um, older people like myself who are, um, we're, we're seniors, but we don't feel like it. <laughs> and I think we don't even know what that, that word means anymore. So mm -hmm. uh, technology is important. Now, before we, we have a few more minutes, I wanted to talk about a couple of other things. Um, one of them is the issue of caregiving too, which, which you know, deals with a lot of your intergenerational um, um, components and interests. It seems to me this, this is one of these things, one of these areas which is clearly intergenerational and has a lot of issues to really resolve. Certainly, I, I don't think I have the solution for caregiving, but I do think it's important that, you know, everyone will be a caregiver or a recipient of care at some mm -hmm. point in their life. And, you know, how can we strengthen the support networks to really make sure that people who end up in a caregiving role, which again, it's most likely going to happen, 
um, that they have the, the resources that they need, that they have support groups that can make sure that the, the role is not too burdensome, uh, respite caregiving so that maybe a younger person comes in and, and steps in for a little bit while you get to take care of your own health and well-being needs. Yeah, and I think that just as we were speaking about technology, um, you have to teach and learn about these um, resources. I think the same is true of caregiving, where there are lots of resources out there. I've discovered I'm, I am working on a caregive, family caregiving guide myself for families, a sort of a pragmatic guide for each phase of caregiving. And I think that you know, one of the issues I've found is that there are actually a lot of resources, number one, but people don't know about them. They don't know about them in time. And I think that there, in this, these cases, there are other kinds of silos that we deal with, which is government silos, agency silos, private business you know, sector silos. And these need to intersect to provide kind of an integrated system of care for people. Um, uh, because the, you know, the, the person-centered approach really doesn't care where the help comes from. <laughs> I, I need help. You know, that's, the, that's the, what you hear. We need help. Where do we find it? And how do we find it in time to avert a crisis? Um, so I think that's, you know, that's an important gerontological challenge that is clearly you know, multi-generational too. Certainly. And I think this is where those partnerships, whether they're academics, government, nonprofits, community-based organizations, how can we you know, kind of consolidate those resources or find ways to make sure that someone goes to a primary care appointment and their doctor learns that they're a caregiver, what can they do to point them in the right direction of resources that might help them? Right, right. And I think that's where, you know, institutions like yours are really important because they're, you know, they're kind of objective, you know, sources that can, that can basically assess the efficacy of different alternatives and options and then point people in that right direction. So as an information resource, I think that's really valuable. Um, before we close, I just want to touch on one other thing that, that may require a whole other show, but I mean, it's the issue of multi-generational housing. And I know that this is something that you touched on a bit, probably take another show on that at some point, but uh, how do we deal with this? So housing care, these are two big issues, you know, that are, are, are big challenges for aging populations. Sure. I mean, there's some really interesting, innovative programs that uh, try to pair people up if they have rooms available and they're older themselves. Maybe they have someone younger live with them and provide some extra support with getting groceries or getting them to doctor's appointments. Um, there are other models where a senior living facility might have uh, students from local universities live there for free in exchange for volunteering. And so I think there are opportunities to be creative, but also there's a, you know, a cultural component where certain cultures are predisposed to having many families in the same household. And uh, in, in those cases, I think a lot of people don't picture themselves as caregivers if they are younger and, and live with an right. older relative, but they are caregivers in their own way. And so um, really kind of helping to uh, identify these places where we can support people who don't traditionally think of themselves as caregivers or create innovative partnerships where younger people get uh, the experience of working with older adults, I think is a, a new frontier. And like you said, definitely could be an entirely new episode to go over some of those models. Right. Yeah. I think this is how we, how we 
maintain community um, with different generations. I think this is this is going to be an interesting, uh, you know, problem to have because I think it, there'll be some really creative solutions that'll come out of this. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, at any rate, uh, well, unfortunately, we've come to the close of our show. I just wanted to thank you, Carly, so much for all your thoughts and inspiration. Uh, terrific uh, conversation. Uh, before uh, I let you go, if people have questions or comments, what's the best way to contact you? Is it um, uh, through LinkedIn or is it through your email at M- uh, MPTF? Or what's sure, the best you, way? You can reach me at carly.roman at mptf.com. I am also on LinkedIn at Carly Roman, and I have to check my Twitter to make sure I give the right handle. But it's Carly J Roman underscore on Twitter. So please feel okay. free to reach out to me at any of those. Okay, great. And thank great. you, Ron. This was really a pleasure. Yeah, great. Was, uh, once again, a pleasure for me too. So um, once again, folks, if to tell your friends, if you missed my conversation with Carly Roman today, you still can listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com or just search for the show 45 forward. Uh, you can l- listen to it um, uh, as a podcast on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Art Radio, or go to my show, my website, uh, robowesources.com, and click on the 45 Forward tab. Uh, and if you have questions for me or comments about future shows, you can email me at ron.rowell uh, at gmail.com. So uh, be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, when I'll be talking with Andrea Hula Marks, a psychologist who will tell us about the art of practicing patience in a time of relentless change and impatience. So folks, uh, until then, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Rowell, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.